and welcome to News Real with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. And I'm Neil. And this week, well, we were going to talk about the World Cup because it didn't seem like much else was going on. The nice really? weather everyone's having, certainly across most of the West, and most people are paying attention to a cracking World Cup. And then suddenly, suddenly, last summer, out of nowhere, this happens. Scotty, roll the tape. Paramedics in hazmat suits stretchered away the latest victim of a military-grade nerve agent on Saturday. British media have identified the pair as Charlie Raleigh and Don Sturgis. Last night came the dreaded news from Scotland Yard. Following the detailed analysis of those samples, we can confirm that the man and woman have been exposed to the nerve agent Novichok. The same kind of nerve agent used in the attack on Russian double agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia that Britain blames squarely on Russia. An assassination attempt that took place just a few miles from where the couple collapsed. British security officials said today they're working on the assumption the pair was not specifically targeted. This police tape surrounds the entire perimeter of this park. It's thought the couple had visited here recently, and it's walking distance from where the Skripals collapsed last March. Ah, amazing. Amazing. Novichok part two. This time... It's, it's what? Personal? This time, it's the homeless people. It's... it's uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know really what to say about it. I mean, obviously, people... We could just say the same thing we said in March about it. Say the same it. thing. Let's okay, see. roll that tape. Let's just play our show over. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, well, yeah, it is kind of... That's kind of annoying that you have to kind of say the same thing over and over again. But, I mean, it's hard to get an idea of just how... Of the kind of public reaction or perception to this. It's hard to get an accurate view of, of what people, what way people are reacting. But... Uh, Based on, let's say, comments on websites, comments on Twitter, that kind of thing, there seems to be a lot of skepticism about about this kind of Skripal part two or Novichok part two uh, in in basically the same area of Salisbury, like Amesbury, a different different town, about seven or eight miles away. Uh, you had um, two people, one of them at least, both of them more or less with history of being homeless. One of them, probably both of them, uh, having a history of, of drug addiction, heroin addiction. Uh, they were found um, collapsed. Now, I mean, if you want to take the fully cynical view, you could say that uh, these people were just found uh, passed out from a heroin overdose, let's say, and uh, somebody jumped, somebody in British intelligence, the British government jumped on the opportunity. They had been to a party, right, or something? Right, there was some kind of party going on in a park, whatever, and they couldn't be revived. But, I mean, the point, the big thing, the big elephant in the room here is that these people have a history of, of drug addiction and drug right. abuse, you know? And so they, they, they collapse, emergency services are called, they're taken to the hospital, and then someone decides, oh, it was Navichok, you know? Uh, I don't know, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the, the interesting, I mean, the, well, I mean, that was what it was four, what days today? The eighth, four days ago, basically, it happened. <clears throat> Four days ago, uh, it came out pretty quickly that this was Novichok, you know, within a day or two. It was, yes, definitely, this is the same agent used. But then they started to have to try and explain how, what was this? I mean, the Russians attacking a couple of uh, drug addicts in the UK this time? Is, what, what's the agenda there? What is, what's Putin's agenda in attacking uh, just some average drug addict in, 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 uh, in middle England type thing? And obviously that doesn't fly. There's no, this isn't a, a KGB agent or there's no KGB agent involved. So the story then involved that, well, we're under the assumption that uh, we're assuming that uh, they came in contact with Navichok 
same possible, possibly a residue or the remnants of the Novichok that was used in the scribbles they came across. There was some suggestion that because they're drug addicts, they may have found a syringe that was used to administer the first Novichok to the KG, former KGB agent, uh, Skripal, and then this guy, being a drug addict, picked it up, shared it with his friend, who was Novichok on the needle. Then, who knows? I mean, basically, in the same way, you don't get any information, any hard, reliable information or, or sensible information about the Skripals. You're not getting anything sensible about, uh, about this latest incident. I mean, the UK Minister of State for Security, Ben Wallace, disclosed that the the working assumption is that the pair were exposed to Novichok either as a result of the attack on former Russians by Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia uh, earlier this year, or guess what? Something else. That's the level that we're at. Something else. Either they got the same stuff as Skripal got, somehow they came in contact with it, or it was something else. Thanks very much. Great, great job, British government, for really informing us and, and being quite clear on, on, on what's going on here. Obviously, we're going to put this in the context of as we do the Skripal business of an ongoing defamation campaign against uh, a smear campaign against the Russian government and particularly Vladimir Putin, basically, by Western intelligence agencies, including, but not limited to, obviously, MI5, MI6, CIA, and Israeli Mossad. Because the Israeli Mossad are, have been historically knee-deep in this kind of uh, subterfuge and uh, uh, dirty tricks kind of uh, operations against states that basically you know, that, that really grab the headlines and, and really smear someone, smear uh, another country or another head of state, basically. So, um, yeah, the only... Is it long-lasting or not? Well, that's the whole other bu bullshit aspect to it. Because we heard both sides of the story in well, March. I mean, th this is the problem. This is the problem. It's, it's just a, a litany of confusing, contradictory, bullshit-type uh, claims about what happened to the Skripals. Uh, none of it really makes any sense. Uh, no clarity is offered. Uh, the script also was said that this was uh, that, that the guy who actually supposedly made Novichok, which he actually didn't, but some Russian guy who's now living in exile in, in the US, um, claimed that he wrote a book on Novichok and he worked on it or something like that. He maybe cleaned the room or something where Novichok was used when it was made in, uh, in, uh, in Uzbekistan, I think, the former Soviet Republic. Um, this guy said that it was, at the time of the Skripal incident, that it was absolutely, this, this was something, it's deadly, 10 times more uh, deadly than the X nerve agent. Uh, and also that it uh, was very volatile in terms of the environment. If it's exposed to water and even humidity in the air, it'll disappear. It'll, it'll just evaporate. So it's a very short-lived kind of uh, nerve agent. Uh, now we're being told that... Now we're being told that the uh, that this <coughs> with the second case that these people what is it how long is how goes it was four it, months ma four months later to the day which Navi is weird this vo highly volatile nerve agent that evaporates with just moisture in the air or is diminished greatly with just moisture in the air has hung around for four months and has managed to uh, you know infect uh, to. Former okay. or, or drug addicts. In the you UK can't get a straight word out, out of anyone in British officialdom, but between the lines, the basic position on this now is that these two people were not deliberately targeted by Russians. Now no. they were accidentally infected, affected by the same yes. substance left done to slash whatever fill in the gap months. to the scribbles in March. Four, four months ago. So, four months ago. But this was something that should have been long gone by the, according to the narrative at the time of the scribbles. But now it's just. 
amazingly or magically trans transformed itself into this long-lasting uh, nerve agent that could hang around like on the grass or something. I mean, they don't even, they're not even clear about it. They won't even tell anybody. Like, was it needle these people are heroin? No, because both investigations, the Skripal one and now this one already, in the space of four days, have been put under some special status where right. they're a special secret investigation right. and it'll just be they'll leak whatever rumors they want. Yeah. The media is put under what we call the D notice in the, yeah. UK, in the UK, which is basically a gag order where you're not allowed to say anything. That on, isn't July, on July third, George Galloway had an article, an op-ed in on RT, commenting just in summary about how weird it's been, how quiet the Skripal issue went, yeah. and just um, lamenting. I suppose he's used to it, but lamenting the fact that British journalists like have you no curiosity at this point. They, they just blindly accepted yeah. the D notice and yeah, well they have to for Queen and Country. Well, D notice is is legally uh, enforceable. I think yeah. and journalists can go to prison. So it's we're talking about a kind of totalitarian kind of. Uh, but doesn't that apply control. to specific information you can't say? But surely you can comment in general on it. I mean, you, you can only comment in general. But that's the problem. You get no specifics, and it doesn't make any sense, you know. But they just pass it off. But the point about it is, is that the goal is the same goal as previous, right? With the Skripals, which is to defame or demonize Russia, to make Russia look bad. And obviously, it happens in the context of Russia doing very well at the World Cup, uh, Russia hosting a very good World Cup, getting a lot of plaudits from many people around the world for hosting such a great World Cup. It's all going very well. Blah 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 blah. And then. Oh, by the way, four months later, right in the middle of the World Cup when Russia's doing very well. Oh, everybody, did you, did you notice or have you, have you forgotten? Russia's evil. Russia's still evil. Right, and here's right. some evidence. Because look, remember Novichok? It's still hanging around and infecting people in the UK. How horrible is that? Do you really feel that Russia's a good place now, even after the World Cup? It's still bad, remember? It's bad. And, Russia, and Putin's bad now. You know, so it's, it's this pathetic, childish, mind-numbingly you know, simplistic propaganda ploy and the sad thing is that I don't know how many like I said or I don't know, I don't know how many people are, are, are buying it but the sad thing is that, that certain a certain number of people anyway or even a majority of people would actually buy it you know it's just it's a blunt force instrument you know it's like trying to bludgeon somebody like to stop them but thinking something stop thinking that and you hit them over the head with an instrument at least is something fish, physical yeah we, they had a fish they could hit Putin with or something physical or, no, it's a sanctions, sanctions were something I mean they're a concept but they have physical implications material implications. This, the blunt force instrument, is a lie that's desperately, desperately trying not to be caught in a lie, so well, it's very vague. Well, if we look at the history, if we look at the history of the falling out, let's say, the falling out between the West and Russia, the history of it in terms of, uh, and the tangible effects are, are, are focused on uh, a defamation, an information campaign, like uh, black propaganda, basically, because the sanctions you mentioned apparently aren't 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 having any effect, aren't having the desired effect. You know, the U.S. and Britain and the U.K. and Europe, whoever, cannot impose in a, in a globalized, economically interconnected world, they cannot impose sanctions that are severe enough against Russia, a country like Russia, without doing serious damage to either the world economy or or themselves, or their own economy. So sanctions just haven't had the desired effect. Uh, uh, so the major things that have happened over the past five or six years since the falling out with Russia have been focused on, or the major thrust has been, the focus, has been to focus on demonizing Russia and Putin in the minds of ordinary people in the West. You had uh, MH17, Putin shot down, Putin killed my baby, Putin shot down that plane, he did it personally, he's an evil, 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 evil man. Uh, 
Putin uh, stole Crimea. Stole Crimea, and I and, and that's something we're going to get to in a little minute. Uh, he he annexed Crimea. Uh, he's a dictator. He's and he's invaded Ukraine. Invaded Ukraine. Ukraine. Um, and then after that, I think we went straight to pretty much the Skripals, right? Uh, was the next big thing. Uh, well, he no, he um, bombed innocents in Siberia. Right. Okay. The whole Syria thing going lost. on, uh, complete and the fabrication of of, uh, uh, of alleged, alleged chemical weapons in Syria that Russia was in some way participating in with the, with the Syrian government. He connived with Erdogan to send millions of refugees to Europe. Right. There's that as well. Oh, of course, I, I keep I'm forgetting the big one. He, uh, he hacked our election. He stole. He t stole the. Uh, he, he hacked under our elections. He undermined American democracy at its root. Made Brexit happen. He made Brexit up. So look at all those things, and all of them are blaming Russia, demonizing Russia, demonizing Putin um, for, for things that are patently ridiculous, uh, and he's not to blame for at all. But that's, they've put that out there. They've really waged a forceful uh, propaganda campaign against Russia over the past five years uh, because that's all they've got, basically. And unfortunately, you know, it's a serious campaign. It's pretty intense. And, okay, I don't blame people for believing some of it, but, you know, really do a bit of thinking and, Jesus Christ! I mean, really, <laughs> I, lost, I don't know what to. I, I lost count of um, the number of interviews of English World Cup fans in Russia, interviewed by maybe RT or Vesti, their local news, but also they've been interviewed by mm. British journalists who are there as well, commenting about how awful our media is, specifically because they went there intrepidly, having totally different expectations, and Russia is nowhere near on every plane. What they, what, what they said it would be like. It, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean the spirit of the place, the people, right. uh, including like its infrastructure, the way the World Cup's organized. Mm -hmm. every, they're just so wrong on every possible aspect of this. Um, the day after, so that's July 5th, the day after the, head, the, the Independent put this out. Can we put, bring this up? Scotty, check out this headline. This is, the, this is the Independent. So one of Britain's more less crazy right-wing websites look at that the morning after why you shouldn't read conspiracy theories about the Chuck poisoning even if you, you really, really want, want to, to. <laughs> oh my god that's the headline i'm feeling this pull towards truth and aversion to lies i feel like i really really want to read some read something alternative no i shouldn't the independent just told me i you really really shouldn't, shouldn't. i really shouldn't wow I mean, it's kind of, it really is. I mean, it's an overused term, but it's kind of Orwellian, you know. Uh, that, that's bizarre. <laughs> but there you go. That's what we live in today. And who, who saw it coming? Well, kind of saw it coming, but no one could ever figure out the exact details of it. Um, it's all the more jarring because it's been so irrelevant. There's been no terror attacks. Obviously not at the World Cup. Well, arguably there might have been one. But anyway, well, no, there's been no major incident. But not just there. Like, across... Across the West, there's been no major incident. Mm. I mean, there's been crazy protests in the United States, attacks and stuff like that. But there's been no major terror incident. Right. And this is sort of all we got. Yeah. And it's so pathetic. Well, apart from the, the context in which, the context of the World Cup, of this Novichok Part 2 poisoning of British people by, by Russia, uh, Part 2, it's... Uh, Apart from the context of that happening in the middle of the World Cup and Russia's getting Russia's being seen in a favourable light, it also happened just a couple of days before the OPCW uh, released its interim report on what happened in Duma uh, last April. April. 
so just a month after scribble thing and do me ahead if everybody remembers back that far if, if you can uh, back in april there was the allegation by the west western governments the u.s in particular the british and the french that assad had used guess what chemical weapons against his own people or the just, just outside uh, in Duma, a uh, suburb of Damascus. Um, and as a result of that you know, media frenzy accusing him of having done that, they, uh, if you remember, the Western powers, mainly European and the US, fired a bunch of Tomahawk cruise missiles at so-called chemical weapon sites in, in, in Syria. Uh, they didn't wait for any investigation of what actually happened to see if what their, their claims of a chemical weapons attack no, because uh, Putin, Putin would have rigged it. You see, they have to get right. in there. They first. had to get in there. And Send fire the, the truth bombs first before right. Putin's truth. Sentence first. Alternative truth comes out. Yeah. Sentence first, investigation later. Anyway, uh, so supposedly the OPC did get there eventually, uh, and it's long enough now, three, four months after the fact, that they can now release an interim report. And the interim report says something that everybody with any sense said at the time, which is that this is nonsense. There were no chemical weapons attacks. Uh, in April in Duma, and in fact, there was plenty of evidence that came out at the time from people on the ground. Even uh, a veteran, talking about the independent, a veteran independent um, journalist. Um, um, the guy's based in yeah, the independent Robert, 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 Robert Fisk, Fisk uh, went there himself a couple of weeks later and talked to people and came back saying, "Listen, there's no evidence that anything uh, chemical of a chemical nature happened here, but it was all done and dusted." So the point was to fire some cruise missiles at the at at Syria and, and forget about uh, justifying it or justifying your claims of chemical weapons attacks. But anyway, now, the OPCW release support, releases or interim report saying basically nothing happened. And of course the media, uh, being the bunch of scurrilous scaremongers uh, and apologists for, for atrocities in Syria that they are, uh, including the BBC, refused to admit that fact that they were wrong that people like us were absolutely right, and everybody else who said there were no chemical weapons used in, in April, obviously. Uh, the BBC, now after this report came out from the OPCW, official report said no chemical weapons. They refused to accept that and refused to, in their headlines, show that they were wrong and vindicate the Syrian government. Instead, they said, because the OPCW report claimed that there was some evidence of chlorine in the area. Now, there's some evidence of chlorine actually on my hands right now. Because I was just out. Because you're a terrorist. No, because I was out at the pool putting chlorine in the pool. Oh. So and there's also some evidence of of chlorine on uh, on our kitchen floor. Because I mopped it with some chlorine the other day. The point being that chlorine. That was a close call. The then. point being that there and and the OPCW said said that they 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 the source of this chlorine was of an indeterminate origin. Basically, they found some bits of chlorine somewhere doing something, but they don't know what whether it was used in a bomb or what it was. Which suggests that it could literally have been from the some, local store, uh, from the local store, or a bottle of Domestos that was found in someone's, uh, that someone used to like you know clean something outside there. So, so technically, but the what main you're point is, is, is the main point is that there was no chemical weapons because originally they said it was either sarin or some other significant chemical weapon. Because the point to remember here is that chlorine, even the mention of chlorine, is laughable because there's no such thing as a chlorine bomb. Do you understand that? No serious military. Yeah, significant military Seymour actually. Hirsch said that this week, and he was, yeah, he but was the, lambasted but it's for ridiculous. it. It's ridiculous. I mean, the chlorine bomb is, is an nonsensical idea that no one would ever use. It doesn't, I mean, as an example, the only place where you have a reference or you hear about chlorine bombs or chlorine bombings is in, is from the Iraq war, the, the invasion of Iraq by the US over that period of time. There was a lot of uh, reports, not a lot of reports, but among all of the bombings and all the mayhem that was caused by the US and their, and their proxies there, um, 
there were a lot of bombings, and among them were some chlorine bombings. I'll just read out some of this from uh, Chlorine Bombings in Iraq. That's the name of the page on Wikipedia. Uh, I'll just read out some. Uh, this is back 2006, 2007. A car carrying, a car bomb carrying 12 120 meter, millimeter mortar shells and two 100 pound chlorine tanks, tanks detonated, wounding three Iraqi policemen and a civilian. January 28th, 2007. A suicide bomber drove a dump truck carrying explosives and a chlorine tank into an emergency response unit in Ramadi. 16 people were killed by the explosives, but none by the chlorine. February 19, 2007. A suicide bombing in Ramadi, Ramadi in, involving chlorine killed two Iraqi security forces and wounded 16 other people, again killed by the explosives. Uh, February 20, 2007. A bomb blew up a tanker carrying chlorine north of Baghdad, killing nine and emitting fumes that made 148 others ill, including 42 women and 52 children ill. February 22, 2007, a pickup truck carrying chlorine gas, gas cylinders exploded in Baghdad, killing at least five people and hospitalizing over 50. So the people, five people were killed, were killed by the explosion, not by the chlorine. Mm. I could go on and on and on if you like. There's several more of them. There's actually about another 10 or 12. All of them, some of them reporting um, uh, breathing difficulties and that kind of stuff, but nobody dying from any effects of chlorine. The point being that it's been well known for decades that chlorine is not an effective chemical weapon. It basically dissipates very quickly and it's not lethal. Chlorine gas is not lethal. It basically, you know, it's just, it's just a non-starter. So the point here is that the BBC did try to hype up this idea that they found bits of chlorine, not recognizing or not admitting what the OPC had, W had said, which is they didn't know what the source of the chlorine was. The BBC claimed that they, they, were, they were vindicated in their warmongering and rabble-rousing for more destruction in Syria by saying uh, at the time, or by claiming at the time, that Assad had used some kind of gas. Now we realize it was chlorine, it wasn't sarin. It's just, I mean, it's just disgusting, right? The level of journalistic integrity is through the floor. There is none whatsoever. These people are freaking evil, right? I mean, I mean, and that, that, um, that headline we just saw from the Independent, you know, if you feel like investigating this, don't. If you feel like believing any of the conspiracy theories about anything, like if Assad maybe wasn't using gas to kill his own people, if the Skripals, maybe if there's something dodgy about the Skripal story, if there's something strange about this latest alleged poisoning in, in Salisbury, uh, don't believe it. The media actually lobbying, actively lobbying in that cynical way for people not to think. I mean, if you to feel honest, the nerves to think, just don't. Don't do it, kids. To be honest, like, I... Hurts your brain. To be honest, the media goes, like, in recent years, as, I've on, as I see this kind of stuff happening, I mean, I know it's always been this way, but the media really are right up there at the top for me of the most evil entities in this world. Yeah, yeah I mean? well, that's in why. In terms I've... of the effect on the people, because because of the direct effect they have on ordinary people, you know. Yeah, well, and these people should be hysterical and desperately covering their tracks with more and more lies and getting worse, because if there's ever anything like there ought to be, there won't be, but if there ever were a Nuremberg trial for Syria... right. Channel 4, BBC, British journalists, not just British, though, French too, a lot of Americans, they should all be up in the docks. Yeah. Well, actually, let me just... For war crimes. Yeah. Complices to war crimes. Absolutely. Their lies kill people, destroy Syria. Yeah, there's a couple of... Uh, just just to, um, to make the point, like, I mean, I know it's... I mean, on the, on the, on the media... Western media investigation and their investigation of chemical attacks, so-called chemical attacks in Syria, and their investigation of it. There's one picture there of a, of a CNN person. Um, we, we, had, we put it on the screen there for a second. Um, it's of the OPCW. Yeah, 
this is <laughs> this is it. As you see, uh, CNN goes sniffing for biological weapons in Syria. This is back at the time of the, the Duma attack, and that's a CNN reporter who is herself doing the investigation that the OPCW weren't <laughs> weren't allowed to do because there were tomahawk cruise missiles flying around. Um, but she went in and she was picking up bits of items of clothing that she found uh, in Duma and giving them, a sn giving them a sniff. And she was then Verif mm, verifying. Well, she was verifying the, uh, the the fact that Assad was a brutal dictator who had been gassing his own people. So good job, CNN report. I mean, that's the kind of people they're dealing with. And they're delusional, most of them. And some of them are just, in my opinion, fundamentally evil. And So what you're saying is, what I'm getting from all this, is Assad and KGB agents staged a false chemical weapons attack to make the West think they had done one so that when they were exposed four they months later, bad. they would look bad and it would reduce yeah. their moral standing in the world's eyes. Hey, that's brilliant. Yeah. That is something the Kremlin will come up with. Yeah. Well, it's the scenario. You can, see it, you can see it going down that road of ultimately of you know, Western powers ultimately they engage, made us look bad. Well, engaging in a policy and policies, you know, attacking Russia, you know, desperately trying to stop change, positive change in the world and retain their hegemony. Uh, them following a course of action that ultimately is their own undoing. And it's very clear when you look back that they were the ones who were the result, uh, who were the cause of their own uh, undoing. And if something bad happens in Western countries, if there's an economic collapse or something, uh, ultimately, it'll be tracked back to mismanagement by the powers that be. But their final word before they go down under the waves with the ship or whatever will be, uh, uh, Russia, damn you, Russia. This is what you were planning all along. I mean, it's that level of insanity, you know, that, you, that you're getting to, uh, of detachment of, of reality that, that we're dealing with here. Um, speaking, of, speaking of Syria, obviously the point we were making there about the OPCW report coming out was that uh, certainly the OPCW report came out just a couple of days after the, this new uh, Novichok thing in Salisbury. So um, it's very likely that British intelligence, British government knew that the OPCW report, interim report, was coming out and they knew what it was going to say, that there was no chemical weapons in Syria. And that basically vindicated the Assad government, more importantly, and vindicates Russia and everything Russia has said about chemical weapons attacks in Syria over the past few years, which is that they're all bunk, that many of them, many of the ones that actually happened were carried out by US-backed and Western-backed rebels an attempt to make, in an attempt to make the Syrian government look bad, to blame it on the Syrian government. Uh, that's what Russia's been saying all along. That's what Russia said back in, in, in April when the Duma, alleged Duma attack happened. So this OPCW attack actually vindicates Russia and everything Russia has been saying about Syria over the past, or certainly over this year and over previous years. So British, the British government knew that this was going to happen. So to offset the the kind of uh, pop, the, the good press that should have been due to Russia as a result of this OPCW report, a couple of days before it comes out, they re, they they somehow stage managed this second Novichok thing to say, okay, well the OPCW maybe said that there was no chemical weapons in Syria, vindicating Russia and Syria, but look, Russia's still doing chemical weapons mm. shit in Salisbury. I mean, that's the message. It's, it's just basically 
Russia is still evil no matter what happens, no right. matter how well they do at the World Cup, no matter how good a, a show they put on there, no matter how much praise they get from ordinary people attending, and uh, no matter how much international chemical weapons bodies vindicate them and everything they'd be saying about Syrian chemical weapons, that is basically the, the West is behind a lot of it, and uh, no matter what happens, we have to still convince the people that Russia is actually it's the opposite of what the truth is pointing to. Mm-hmm. Do you think they, they think like that, that they have a good idea of the up, up, upcoming news cycle? Well, certainly. And they anticipate it <coughs> well, not and, even and hope to cycle. have... Not even... Maybe that may be... I mean, in terms of news cycle, they know what's going to happen in the news. I don't think so. But certainly in terms of this OPCW report, it was released two days ago. And two days previous to that, this Novichok thing happened. So certainly two days before the, two days before the report was released, the British government had... Certainly had a heads up about it. Let's say they knew what was in it. They knew what was going to happen. So it's 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 a reasonable contention, anyway, uh, from my perspective. That that the this, the timing of this second Novichok thing was uh, in preparation or in advance of uh, the OPCW report, which basically, like I said, vindicated Russia uh, in the domain of chemical weapons and who's been carrying out chemical weapons attacks. You know. So it's just sneaky and dirty, but that's the way the West plays. That's the way these, these people play, play their games, you know, this propaganda war. And ultimately, it's a propaganda war for the minds of the ordinary members of the public, you know, mm. because politicians have been around enough, and a lot of them are involved in it themselves. They know it's all a bunch of lies and a bunch of bullshit. But uh, the target here, obviously, is the ordinary people in Western countries, you know. Yeah. Um, it must be a good time to live in Russia, because while the mainstream in the West is just saturated wall-to-wall lies... In Russia, they just need to report the facts as they're apparently known, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> it's immediately obvious to be, what's really going on. To be a journalist with integrity in Russia is very easy today. It's so easy. I mean, you just need to say, so here's their, this is what their mainstream. Can you throw this up, Scotty? This is a BBC article, but uh, it's a BBC article criticizing Russia's mainstream evening news reporting about this incident. There's the headline. Amesbury poisoning Russia media say UK spoiling World Cup. Well, they are. <clears throat> of course they are. That's the simple, obvious. I mean, among other motivations. I mean, obviously, there's the OPCW report. They want to cover that up. But the more general coincidence yeah. of things is that, like you said, the, Russia, the World Cup has been going so well there. Positive press, positive light. And they just needed to take a dump on right. all of it. Yeah. The, the urge was just too compelling because things are going so well and so badly for them. Yeah. And that, they put a lot of effort into it, obviously. You know, I mean, for someone to go to that bother of poisoning or, or fabricating the poisoning and, or whatever, however, whatever the truth is about this recent Novichok thing, um, that's a lot of effort, time and effort and uh, management to go to, to for the purpose of just making Russia look bad. So it obviously brings up the question that we've dealt with many times before in the show is, why are they doing this? Why are they going to so much effort to simply to, to demonize and smear Russia and, and to diminish Russia's reputation and its <coughs> prestige, whatever, <coughs> or its image in the minds of people around the world and in particular people in Western Europe and stuff? What do they fear? Why would, they, why would you want to do that? I mean, if you imagine yourself where you were putting a lot of time and effort and money into uh, attempting to destroy the character or the reputation of someone you know, you'd be doing. You'd have a very good reason for doing it. No, you, there'd be something uh, you didn't like about that person, or something you were afraid of about that. Per- you know what I mean? 
Um, well, in their sincere moments, um, they do in the States, certainly. I don't know about so much in Britain, but they explicitly say, well, we do it all, and it's all justified because Russia is our enemy. It's an adversary. Right, but enemy in, what, enemy in what respect? Well, they don't go any further than that. It's just they the need, enemy. They need to go. They need to go to make a coherent uh, argument or to, to to make it understand. They need to explain why is Russia our enemy? Why? I mean, this brings us on to. Uh, uh, well, actually, before we <coughs> before we get on to that uh, about you know Trump and Russia and stuff, um, just to stay with Syria for another moment. At the same time as all of this is going on, the OPCW report comes out saying there were no chemical weapons used in 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 Damascus, in 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 Ghouta, uh, in Douma, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, in, in April this year, um, the Syrian army have been advancing south and uh, taking over the rest, basically the southern area, south of Damascus, southern uh, region of, of Syria, uh, getting rid of the western-backed rebels there. And they've been discovering uh, an awful lot of... Um, inter- o- oceans inter- of weapons. Uh, oceans of weapons and... Um, just, just unbelievable amounts. I mean, the videos are hard to believe. You just, as far as the horizon goes, they've laid out like. Yes, there's a picture there. Do we have that picture? It's got it. Yeah, the picture. That that's a picture of just of, of one part of it. But there's um, that's ten. Tau, anti-tank missiles. They're top of the range, basically U.S. made. Not not you know, not Saudi made or not Middle Eastern made. These are U.S. made, anti-tank, top of the range anti-tank missiles, and ten of them were handed over by. Al Nusra, uh, Al Qaeda, basically uh, mercenaries, jihadists in southern Syria to the Syrian army. They give them ten. I mean, I mean the gravity of that. I mean, we could just say that now, but jump back ten or fifteen years to just after nine eleven. Can you imagine it coming out and there being pictures of ten top of the range anti tank missiles made in the USA, produced by I think they're produced by who they're produced by <coughs> produced by exactly Raytheon maybe, maybe Raytheon. Uh, are found in the possession of uh, Al-Qaeda. The enemy. Al-Qaeda, the ones who attacked us in 9-11. Uh, and there's pictures of it, and it's, 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 it's undeniable, you know. There's, um, there's also there's a video here that shows a little bit more. Uh, of, uh, it's just a video from, um, from YouTube. Uh, did I give you that, Scotty? Maybe I didn't give it to you. Um, no. No, I didn't give you that one. Um... Of the of the weapons find or of the Syrian advance? Yeah, um, I think we have it here. Um, what are we going to look at? Well, we're going to look at a crap <laughs> a crap load of uh, military uh, equipment made in the USA. M- much of it made in the USA, uh, with an, uh, including um, chemical weapon. Yeah, go ahead. Chemical weapons. Uh, All right. <coughs> Hang on a sec. عثرت وحدات الجيش العربي السوري خلال تمشيطها القرى المحررة في الريف الشمالي الشرقي لمحافظة درعا على كميات كبيرة من الأسلحة والعتاد الثقيل وذخيرة متنوعة داخل أوكار الإرهابيين تم ضبط مجموعة كبيرة من القواز المضاد للرصاص والدروع إضافة إلى مجموعة كبيرة جدا من الحقائب أو الصرر الفردي Gas masks, you know, um, all sorts of technical equipment, uh, mortars, 
شولدر فاير راكت لانشرز ستاكس اند ستاكس اوف امينيشن It's, it was something like 10 tons or something like that. It was all handed over. There's another tank. It was all handed over. You can you can cut that there, Scotty. Some pretty fancy fancy equipment. All of it handed over by rebels. So quote unquote rebels, i.e. terrorists, i.e. mercenaries, i.e. U.S.-backed uh, jihadis, uh, in in the southern area of uh, southern. Dara area of Syria, basically. Yeah, along, they're, uh, they're sweeping down along the Jordanian border, right? They're trying to uh, secure J- Jordanian border crossings. That's probably key. But thereafter, it's going to be interesting when they start to yeah. tidy up when they go around the corner then, and there's a border with the Golan Heights. Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably going to be... I mean, they're sweeping quickly, so it's probably going to come up soon. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that after all the hoo-ha about Israel's airstrikes against Iranian targets in Syria. They weren't there against Syrian targets. The Syrians just took them on the chin, downed a lot of them themselves with um, their air defense systems. And a month later, they're just quietly going in and sweeping up. I mean, what was Israel? Was Israel trying to say, don't come near us? Mm-hmm. But they're going ahead anyway. Right. Um, I do wonder, though, I think, I think Trump's on record saying recently that... Um, or not, maybe not Trump saying it, but I think the official message was uh, to the rebels there, just abandon ship because we can't help you. Um, well, it's over, you know. It's, it's, either way, yeah, there's no, there's no American slash Israeli slash even just covert special ops coming to the rescue. No, no it's no. history. <clears throat> it's moved on. It's moved on from... From being a regime change via jihadis, Western-backed jihadis and Saudis, Saudi-backed jihadis, to um, to being a, a problem, as has come up in the past few months with uh, Iran and Israel. Basically, it's that, that's come kind of that's taken over Syria in a certain sense, and and Russia has been doing a lot. Uh, you notice that Russia is quite friendly with uh, Israel, and it has to be friendly with Israel because um, Israel is a is has a potential to cause a lot of problems in Syria and undo a lot of the work the Russian military and the Syrian uh, government and army have done in terms of ridding the place of jihadis. Russia can mess things up in the region. Uh, ultimately, Russia has Russia's goal in, in Syria in the Middle, and in the Middle East in general has been to stabilize the situation and promote as much promote, promote peace basically to, to to calm things down. I mean, they've had Syria, Iraq, and Syria have been embroiled in war for uh, the past. Uh, what well, since 2003, right? <clears throat> Past 15 years, you know, and that's not good for for anybody really, apart from the warmongers and the ones who profit from just uh, you know there being as much chaos as possible. So Russia went into Syria to try and calm the situation down, and uh, they achieved that by primarily by destroying the Western-backed jihadi mercenaries. But Israel is a problem; has legitimate grievances from the Israeli perspective. Uh, and Russia has to understand that, and Russia maintains very good relationship with Israel because it realizes Israel has the possibility or the potential to uh, to cause a lot of problems in the Middle East. You know, so Russia Russia really is being a, the major kind of peace broker 
an arbiter of, of conflict there in the Middle East right now. It's kind of pushed the U.S. out, you know. It's become, it's become what the U.S. always claimed. Yeah. The world policeman. Right. But do, and I think that's key job. to why it has to be demonized every which way but loose. Right. Um, no, there's only one moral arbiter. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, absolutely. It's yeah. the Anglo-Saxon, American, whatever, Western. And I, that, that's that's where that's the, the way it's been for so long. <coughs> right, How dare right. anyone else claim right. our throne? Right, even you know, even from an ideological perspective or from a from a, a perception perspective, you know, I mean, it's a lot of the U.S.'s power and reputation. Well, a lot of its power comes from reputation uh, as the kind of global policeman who you know strives for peace and you know. And uh, you know, empowering or, or, or you know, developing as many nations as possible and making the world safe for democracy and freedom and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, the U.S. hasn't been doing that very much at all over the course of its over the course of the 20th century. Anyway, um, so for Russia to come in and start to really actually do that and to gain the kudos and the respect that it, that it deserves from doing that is yeah, it's a real blow to America because it threatens, like you're saying, it threatens to uh, take away that moral high ground or take away. You know, transfer that reputation as the global policeman onto Russia, effectively, and, and very justifiably because Russia is obviously doing that. And you know, when it, when it decides, if to, to the extent that Russia is is playing the role of Middle Eastern policeman, it's actually uh, doing a very good job of it. You know, it's doing what it says it it, it sets set out to do. Whereas the U.S. generally speaking hasn't done that. You know, um, but speaking of the U.S. and Russia, um, <coughs> Trump and Putin. There's a couple of things. Trump is on the march. Trump is coming to... He's coming to Europe. Um, Not just Europe. He's going to London. He's going to London, mate. He's and, go- and they're he, going he's to, been allowed in. He's allowed in. He's go- is he going to meet the Queen? I believe so. Good job. Good job. Uh, Downing Street, the whole works. The, the British press are doing their best to... In, to maximize the wailing and gnashing of teeth yeah, and screaming. They're raising a mob. Screaming at the sky, never Trump. They've got a, now they have something to scream at. In the sky. In the sky because there's a, an inflatable baby Trump, basically, right. a balloon that's going to be flown over London as Trump's there. Um, and so he's there to just, well, he's just, what's well, his first state is, visit to the UK. Well, was, see, this is where the timing of it's all interesting. Uh, Novichok Part 2, he's going to Brussels on the 12th of July mm-hmm. for a NATO summit. A NATO summit. To basically say... And his, his his message has been put out there the last few days. You know, NATO... Yeah, they're not paying the way. Again, not paying the way. too much. But there's also a rumor us. that we might just... The US might leave NATO, which... Right. It's <laughs> the whole reason for having NATO in the first place, doesn't <laughs> exactly. it? Uh, and well, they're, no they're, they're, crap, they're crapping their pants. Um uh, so NATO summit, then he goes to London, um, and then shortly afterwards. Oh, of course, yeah. The the big, uh, big, the real meeting, of course, is, is going to meet Putin, which has people absolutely terrified. Yes, uh, peace uh, might break out. He may what actually. Will I mean for? He may actually talk, you know, in a friendly fashion or reasonably with Putin, and uh, they might try. They might try to find some common ground where they can. Uh, increase the possibility of peace in the world and stuff, uh, and the Western press is absolutely livid that that could possibly ever happen. Why? Because there's no justification for it. That's I saw that in an actual headline, uh, or or as the as the uh, the first paragraph of an article denouncing Putin uh, 
uh, Trump even meeting Putin because there's, they said there's no justification for it, despite the fact that they had just let in with the idea that, they might, that, that Putin and Trump might actually talk about peace and try to find common ground. And then the, the conclusion from the Western press was there's no justification for that. There's no justification for a peaceful relationships between the two biggest, most powerful nations, let's say, militarily anyway, in, on the planet right now. That's what that's what the Western press wants to convince you of that there's no justification for for peace. In fact, what do they want? World War Three? You prefer World War Three? Um, so the, it's interesting that we have a video here. It's actually a Twitter uh, video from uh, John Bolton, who is Trump's uh, right hand man right now, right? And we used to hate John Bolton, uh, and we can still do. But uh, I'm enjoying seeing him forced to say truthful things. He's evil Ned Flanders. It doesn't quite go with him, but... No, but it's interesting that he basically is on board with Trump. He's like, whatever the president wants, sign with National Security Advisor. He's my I'm boss. Go with it, right? He's my boss. And Trump... Um, Trump has... this. Well, let, let, let you watch the video or, or listen to the video and see what the, what the interviewer asks him about. Go ahead. Significant. Uh, I want to ask you, though, about the trip you just made to Moscow, where you met face-to-face -face yourself with Vladimir Putin to set up this July summit with President Trump. What specific changes in Russian foreign policy are you going to ask him for? What is the goal? Well, the goal of this meeting for the two leaders to have a chance to sit down, uh, not in the context of some larger multilateral meeting, but just the two of them, uh, to go over what's on their mind about a whole range of issues. President Trump has uh, just said in the past week he's going to raise things like Syria, like Ukraine, like the election meddling issue, really the whole range of issues between us. Uh, and I think that in the president's mind, this is very important because it gives him an opportunity uh, to size up Vladimir Putin, to see where there are areas where we might make progress together and, uh, and where there are areas where we may not. Well, right now, Russia is blanket bombing southern Syria. That violates the last agreement Vladimir Putin made with President Trump. Why would he believe that he's in any way trustworthy? Well, we'll see what happens when the two of them get together. There are possibilities for doing uh, a larger negotiation on helping to get Iranian forces uh, out of Syria and back into Iran, which uh, would be a significant step forward. Use force Rat to do so? To, to have an agreement with Russia, if that's possible. Uh, th this has been something that's uh, been going on now for nearly seven years, this uh, conflict in Syria. But the Iranian presence uh, now across Iraq and Syria, really reaching into Lebanon and their connection with Hezbollah, which has been an Iranian subsidiary from the outset. And they're declaring victory is, as Assad won the war. Well, I don't think Assad is the strategic issue. I think Iran is the strategic issue. It's not just their continuing nuclear weapons program. It's their massive support for international terrorism uh, and their conventional forces in the Middle East. And I would say there, this is something that the two presidents will want to discuss at length, because I think President Trump's decision to withdraw from the misbegotten Iran nuclear deal, uh, reimpose our sanctions, begin to put much more pressure on Iran, is having an effect on their decision making, not just on the nuclear issue, uh, but on these efforts. Mm -hmm. Did he just say it was never about Syria? It was always about Iran. Yes, pretty much. That's what we said earlier on. Um, is there another video there, Scotty, further down of, of, uh, of Bolton? Oh, on the same Twitter feed? Yeah, that one. It's the same conversation, just more of it. Yeah, uh, just, yeah let, let's hear that for a second. Is that could affect our midterm elections. 
Did you tell Putin and his associates to knock it off? I, I had meetings all throughout knock the day on Wednesday, uh, including with President Putin uh, and his foreign minister and his defense minister and his diplomatic advisor for about an hour and a half. Uh, that The election meddling issue was definitely something we talked about, and I thought it was significant. Now, meddling now. Yes, absolutely. Meddling, meddling in the 2016 election and, uh, and our concern about what they're doing in the 2018 election. And what President Putin said through a translator, of course, but what he said was, uh, there was no meddling in 2016 by the Russian state. Very little happens without Vladimir Putin's okay. Well, I, I think that's an, that's an interesting statement. I think it's worth pursuing. I'm sure the president will want to pursue it. Well, I don't know. That's, I didn't have an unlimited amount of time with him. But that's very different from saying, my view, that there was no Russian meddling at all. So you see that as some admission on his part? Uh, I, I, think, I think the president will have mm -hmm. to pursue that further. And I think that's one reason why he and President Putin need to have this conversation. As much as I enjoy speaking with uh, my counterpart in Russia, with the foreign minister, with others, uh, is that Vladimir Putin is the one who makes the decisions. And I think... Hmm. You know, watching the media, it's like, it's like being privy to a, a lunatic asylum where... I know. Well, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's when... There's, is there another? Is there? I don't want to labor this. But is there another video further down from that one? I think it's the one right below where it says, um, "Yeah." Is there a video below that? That one. Yeah. Uh, before we go, to, we'll go to that one next. But uh, just on the uh, yeah, I mean that that anchor there is just. I mean, is she she's just mind programmed. She's, basically, she believes yeah. all of the all of the hype, all of the nonsense. I mean, people just don't realize that everything that they've heard about Russia over the past five, you know, certainly since. Trump, you know, the whole Russian meddling thing. But even before that, all of it's a lie. You know, I mean, it has very, it has a very clear uh, geopolitical um, motivation to, to demonize Russia. Uh, but everything that is said about them uh, is fabricated for that geopolitical reason, to, to score geopolitical points, to, to, to further American interests. But they, do, they further <coughs> American uh, deep state, let's say, interests by spreading lies. And for journalists to not even grasp that idea that that's a reality amongst in, in politics and has been for a long time, that you will smear your opponents to try and score some points and to get uh, to achieve some uh, some benefits for yourself, the idea that that is, <laughs> isn't available to them as part of their, their worldview is it's staggering, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it, it shocks me completely. But that, this is actually, the, the third one here with Bolton is just, is, is the, the actual one that I wanted to comment on. Specifically. So let's roll it there. Uh, on Air Force One this week, President Trump, when he was speaking to reporters, seemed to leave the door open to recognizing Russia's annexation of Crimea, uh, saying, we'll have to see what happens when the issue comes up in the meeting. Is the U.S. endorsing the idea that international borders can be redrawn by force? Is this actually... No, that's not the position of the United States, but I think uh, the president... Which is why it was newsworthy when he said it. Well, I don't know that that's what he said. I think, he's, I think the president often says, we'll see, to show that he's willing to talk to uh, foreign leaders about a range of issues and, and hear their perspective. Uh, president Putin was pretty clear with me about it, and, and my response was, we're going to have to agree to disagree on Ukraine. But that's not up for negotiation. That's not the position of the United States. Right, but saying we'll see suggests might be. Well, we'll see. <laughs> well, that's shocking for our European I don't, allies. I don't think it's shocking at all. As I've said, the position of the United States is clear on this. Right, but is that open to changing as the United States position if the president's saying the door is open? The, the president makes the policy. I don't, I don't make the policy. 
What, what is so deeply worrying to so many of our, our European allies, particularly going into this next NATO meeting, are comments like that, things that show some kind of crack in the military alliance uh, of NATO, that I, the I president don't. is looking to be friendlier with adversaries and our allies. I think that's nonsense. Uh, really? I, I think that's nonsense. I think what the president has said to the NATO allies uh, that has caused them concern is that he wants them to live up to the commitment they themselves made during the Obama administration. In to terms spend, of spending. Well, this, yeah, this, yeah, spend it's not just money. spending, but let me make That's, the point that they committed to spend. Uh, yeah, the point, the point that... Uh, that was CNN, right? Yeah. She, I mean, she sounds like CIA. There's no, no, no. She's more to the right. Than I like Bolton would ever have been. Like, yeah. Where do they produce these people? Like, the idea that I mean, it looks. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> like Bolton and Putin both said, uh, but uh, it's interesting that there's a negotiation planned uh, that was set up by Bolton when he went to see Putin first, and now when Trump is going to go and actually have a face to face with him in about a week or, or so, um, there's some negotiation going to happen. There's some kind of the art of the deal is going to be on full display there, you know. And the fact, the way Bolton was equivocating uh, on, on the Crimea thing uh, suggests that, and Trump, the, the reference to him saying that is Trump, Trump did actually say we're going to have to wait and see when he was asked by reporters on Air Force One uh, at the end of June, about a week ago, uh, whether reports about him dropping Washington's longstanding opposition to the annexation, quote-unquote, of Crimea were true. He said we're going to we're have to see. We'll have to wait and see. So um, that may be something that Putin has brought up as a you scratch my back, I scratch yours type of thing. Um, and they're freaking out about this because... But what, what part of the deal would be probably is that it seems that Russia, uh, the U.S. cannot do what it wants to do with sanctions on Iran without some kind of, particularly in terms of oil, without the cooperation of Russia. Because... If the U.S. goes ahead and tries to impose by force these kind of punitive sanctions on Iran, particularly in terms of its oil trade, by banning its oil trade completely, um, that obviously could send the price, would send the price of oil sky high, especially in the context of Iran maybe taking actions which it has said that it would, which is which would be to uh, close the Straits of Hormuz, basically block off the, the major shipping lane for oil for, for, for most of the world, you know. So that would obviously, even though jitters to, to that end, would, would send the price of oil sky high. So uh, for Trump to impose these sanctions and bring Iran to heel and strike a better deal with Iran type thing, um, they want to use their big guns type of thing, or use the big stick and, and cut off Iranian oil. Um, but Trump and the US would need Russia's cooperation in order to stabilize the price of oil, because if it goes, it, it's no good for anybody when, if, if, if oil goes to like to $200 or $300 a barrel type thing. The U.S. wants to keep the price of oil at a comfortable uh, level for, for them uh, and their producers and for the population and for world trade, basically. Uh, but they need Russia's cooperation to do that, because Russia would obviously have to increase output and to stabilize and to calm the market in the event of a scare over Iranian oil after the U.S. would sanction Iran oil, Iran's oil or if there was some kind of a block in the Strait of Hormuz or something like that. Um, is, Russia, is, Russia, Russia would need to be on board with that to, to be prepared to increase output along with Saudi Arabia because basically now Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia and 
and Russia have a deal where they they decide themselves when to cut output or increase output. Basically, it's no longer so much. It's not so much in because uh, not so long ago, uh, Russia and Iran struck a kind of a an OPEC uh, plus kind of deal where they decide themselves. They they more a close relationship in terms of uh, uh, deciding when to increase or when to decrease oil 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 output between the two of them. You know, so basically, uh, Russia is a half of that equation. And the U.S. needs Russia's cooperation. To, just in a general sense, the U.S. needs Russia's cooperation if it's going to impose effective sanctions or if it's even going to be able to follow through with its threats to sanction all of Iran's oil. And that will be on the table when Trump goes to meet Putin. And that's a big request. You know, it's something like, listen, this is really important to me, Russia. I really need your help with this. Well, what are you willing to give in response? Something pretty big, right? Maybe you could chill the F out about Crimea and stop using that stupid term annex when 97% of the population of Crimea voted democratically to rejoin Russia. Well, that would immediately end the, end the anti-Russia sanctions. That would be a first step in that direction as well. Um, why would Russia cooperate with the U.S. against Iran after all they've been through uh, in Syria? and? Well, but they haven't. They haven't well, cooperate with, depends on, Depends on what the goal of, well, US, of U.S. sanctions on Iran actually are. Well, they've said them explicitly. Ned Flanders here said by January next well, year. Well, that's him saying that last year before he's a national security advisor and he really, okay. really knows what's going on. Now he's taking orders from his boss, and his boss has, different, has a different agenda, right? And uh, Trump, doesn't, doesn't, Trump doesn't want to destroy Iran. or, or He's not going to bomb or invade Iran. Yeah, he's not going to, you know nail him to the wall, basically, economically. What he wants to do is put on enough pressure and show that he can put that pressure on in order to strike a better show-me-the-money deal with Iran. He wants to do business with Iran. Exactly. You're saying he wants like American he wants to, companies well, in Iran. Right, like he wants to do business with everybody. That's what he's working towards. How can he do that if he's antagonizing the hell out of them? Because that's the way he operates. He aims high, right? He, he pisses you off, and then, and then he backs down. You know? He's a madman in a less... In a, in a thing, less violent way. Well, the thing about Trump, well, talking about violence, Trump is um, prob- pretty much since Jimmy Carter, if you think about it, Trump, um, Trump has dropped fewer bombs or um, hasn't started any major war. And he's been, probably he's been the most restrained president in terms of military adventures. U.S. military inventors probably since Jimmy Carter in the last, you know, what's that, 30, 40 years? Uh, and yet, to listen to most of the press, you'd think he's... But, uh, but it's, it's but, ridiculous. But at the same time, there are things... The U.S. is taking over various things in 40 different countries. Yeah, Two U.S. soldiers were killed in Sudan last right. week. In Africa, they're all what over were they the place, doing? of course. But that's, that's par for the course. That's, that's like bread and butter for the U.S. Like, there's, I think, it's 76 different places where there's some level of conflict going on involving U.S. mostly special ops and many of them are, 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 are African countries, but that's been going on for how long? What is absolutely clear is that everything Trump says, whether it's softening up on official U.S. stance on Crimea, um, official U.S. stance on, on whether or not to regime change Syria and get rid of Assad, um, everything, he's alone. Yeah. He's the only one in his own White House who will say these things. Because he's fundamentally anti-war. But he, there's no one else. There. 
you maybe get down to state level and you got support, and of course you got popular support. What's amazing is that there's no of, one in Washington with them. What's amazing is I don't know because that's the deep state, and they're and they're they line their pockets with you know USA, 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 American exceptionalism and uh, bombs and and taxpayers' dollars. You know that's what fuels Washington to to a large extent, and obviously the 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 kind of career the career politicians and stuff know that. You know they're dyed in the wool and. Uh, they hate most of them hate Trump for that because he threatens effectively threatens their livelihood to, to one extent or another. But um, what's amazing is that Trump, like I just said, is pretty much an anti-war president, but not like Obama who just uh, talked the talk and, and didn't walk the walk. Basically, he bombed, Obama bombed more people and dropped more bombs than than Bush did. Um, but Trump is genuinely, as far as to the extent that an American president can be anti-war. Trump is very much an anti-war, uh, anti-US military intervention po- uh, president. And um, what's amazing is that historically, the anti-war camp in the US are the lefties. Mm. <clears throat> and the lefties today in the US cannot recognize that fact about Trump because Trump, because he's orange, because he says sexist things because he of his policy on, on immigrants. Uh, it just blows my mind yeah, that, 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 that that's the way it's turned out, you know? Uh, and I mean, the only conclusion is that these people simply can't, can't read between the lines, can't see behind the scenes, can't see behind the, behind the curtain, really, you know? Uh, they don't really know what's going on. They don't really know how it works. Uh, so Trump is correct when he says, I'm really smart. In the context of Washington, uh, the American elites, intelligentsia, he's head and shoulders above all of them. Well, from a moral point of view, he's not—he's he's head and shoulders above them. No, but also in basic smarts of being able to basically gauge what's going on, what is and is not happening. The no, other, no, it's just it's, it's, stupid land. Well, it's a different perspective, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the, his peers, people in the deep state and all that kind of stuff, know what's going on as well. They just have a very different perspective on it. Their perspective is that America should force its way through around the world and get what it wants by hook or by crook like they've always done and that should be the continuing policy whereas Trump comes along and like we've talked about in previous shows saying that's way too expensive, that's ridiculous that's not the way and there may even be a moral uh, component to it in terms of Trump the person where he's not actually uh, as heartless as Obama was or as heartless as Bush was You know, he's not basically a died, he's not the whole point that we, that we keep repeating on about Trump anytime we mention him is he's not an insider. He's not a Washington insider, and that's his big problem across the board, you know. That may have actually afforded him some level of, of, of integrity, that he kept his integrity intact, and he may actually have a bit of a conscience. Compared to people in, like, compared to the, the kind of traditional or typical deep staters in the U.S. who are, like, you know, tied up with intelligence agencies and, and, and long-term career, you know, silver spoon politicians, uh, yeah, I mean, those people are, they're, they're, you can forget about them, I mean, from a moral or uh, conscience point of view, I mean, they just, you know, they're lost, basically, so Trump comes in as not a part of that system, not having brought, been brought up in that system, and he's more like the average American than any politician uh, alive today in the US, uh, and that's why they don't like him, that's why particularly the deep staters don't like him, you know, Uh, but it's obviously, it's bizarre just for me that, that that can be the case, and then you have this other superficial veneer that, that argues against all of that, that says he's a sexist, he's a racist, he's, 
you know, this and that, all, all, he's the, all, a, he's all an the, authoritarian, also authoritarian, all the nasty things and stuff. Anti-freedom. I mean, they, they're sincerely, yeah, pushing this angle that he's going to take our liberties and yeah, take our babies, put us in camps. And yeah. all. it's it's incredible. Um, as you can imagine, probably from the tone of that CNN talking heads shrill questioning of uh, John Bolton, um, <laughs> the U.S. media has gone completely nuts uh, in the lead-up to Trump going to meet Putin. Um, we have a video I want to play now. It's a few things all wrapped into one. Um, as, as he is fond of doing, Trump likes to go and talk to supporters. There's usually some rally just before he goes on a tour. So this is where, again, it's, it's great. It's the only way you're going to get around the U.S. media is to go out and actually talk to people. So he gives a stump speech. Um, not sure where. Anyway, he's talking to supporters about this upcoming meeting. And the only headline that the U.S. media took from it is Trump said Putin is fine. <laughs> but that goes against, no, you can't say he's fine. He's evil. He's a dictator, blah, blah. So um, we're going to play most of this video up to about 2 minutes 25. Okay. Here we go. Let's have a listen. And I might even end up having a good relationship, but they're going, will President Trump be prepared? You know, President Putin is KGB and this and that. You know what? Putin's fine. He's fine. We're all fine with people. Will I be prepared? Totally prepared. I've been preparing for this stuff my whole life. They don't say that. They don't say that. Well, for more on this, RT's Caleb Morpin joins me. Hi there, Caleb. I mean, do you think most people share the US president's expectations from his meeting with his Russian counterpart? Indeed. Uh, in addition to Trump's statements ahead of the meeting, we've also seen some Republican senators who have visited Moscow, and there has been a response to their visiting of Moscow uh, by various people on social media. The comedian Jim Carrey uh, highlighted the fact that they were visiting Moscow, uh, made a, a point of urging people to register to vote. Uh, we also heard uh, many different uh, forces, figures in the Democratic Party and others, uh, speaking up, seeming to denounce this trip to Moscow by Republican senators insinuating that this seems to prove that Trump is somehow working for Russia. Uh, this is some of what we've seen. Russians win with a shop-worn song, repugnant as nails on a blackboard. Their enemies and adversaries attacking us. With Trump praising Putin, talking to him regularly, meeting him alone, with GOP lawmakers visiting Moscow on July 4th, with Republicans surrendering to Russia's cyber attack, there no longer seems to be a question that the Kremlin controls the GOP. Eight GOP senators are spending July the 4th, 2018 in Moscow. Trump's preparing for his visit. My working theory is the senators are making sure everyone knows exactly how Putin likes to be serviced. Now, uh, you would think that people would be optimistic about the hope that perhaps the United States and Russia could start getting along, and there certainly are a number of forces in the USA that are optimistic about the upcoming meeting. But based on the reaction to these Republican senators' visit to Moscow, uh, it seems pretty clear that there are certain forces that simply are not hoping the two countries can repair relations. Indeed. Long way to go. RT's Caleb Morpin, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, crazy. Um, 
it's they, they don't, that's the leftist media basically the left media the traditional left, left media, media saying that they're really wishing that the leaders of the two greatest the two superpower nations on the planet who basically have the power to wipe out all life on earth if they don't get along the left leftist media cnn etc are fervently hoping that that doesn't happen that they don't get along uh, because because trump because they don't like trump you well, know, talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. Those people are nuts, you know what I mean? And it's nuts. not just the media. It's like the politicians, Richard Blumenthal and different people yeah. like that. They, um, they've lost the plot. I mean, do they believe it you have uh, to, when they people say People need to recognize how hard it is for us to talk about this stuff because we're talking about crazy people. Completely. We're actually having to comment on the words and thoughts and contributions of crazy people who have, uh, you know, have a have a have a stage because they're in the media they're they're politicians and therefore when they speak people think that they are an authority or that they that what they say should be taken seriously but they're actually crazy people and we don't treat them as if they, they're an authority we just simply listen to what they say analyze it and conclude that they are freaking crazy people you know uh but it's this it's, it can kind of be a bit kind of crazy making in a certain sense because uh you know you have to deal with it you know Comments from people like that are that approach of the media uh, towards this kind of Trump-Putin summit should, in any sane society, be immediately dismissed as the musings of a crackpot. <clears throat> they wouldn't even get the public attention. But yet everybody, you know, they're repeated over and over again and shoved in people's faces as if they're actually valid, as if it's a valid point of view, as if it's, as if it's not the point of view of a nut job who should be just unceremoniously kicked out of the, kicked out of the room. Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 nuts, you know. And it's it crazy attracts crazy. Like Jim Carrey, there was they, they had his tweet. Jim Carrey is is famous and new. I mean, he lost his fame because because he's well, a, a looper. Because he's a looper anyway. But he lost it. He's refound it by joining anti the Trump. resistance well, yeah. hashtag. Well, if you want to, if you want some attention, be anti-Trump. And uh, his 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 spiel was, oh, Trump's going. No, uh, these GOP senators have gone to Moscow. Well. And they went on July fourth. How dare they? Says it all. What is it? New it's sentence. New sentence. Register to vote. Yeah. Well, well, there should be no. What does what does the two have to do with each other? But he's right, though. That's the thing to hit, because in their minds, register to vote. Democrats, they're going to win twenty eighteen mm. elections coming up. They're not. They're probably going to lose big time. But um, mm. it's um, yeah, it's an asylum. It's like looking in an asylum. I wonder, by the way, is July 4th, July 4th was Independence Day in the U.S. Is it just a coincidence? It's an interesting coincidence anyway. It's a holiday. That the Novichok Part 2 happened then. Mm, as well. And uh, the Independent again, the British paper, the Independent, put out an article like, yeah, happy July 4th, Americans. How's that going for you? It's a message. As in, you know, it's going terribly because Trump... Mm. Right, yeah. <laughs> hundreds, maybe thousands of people responded underneath. Yeah, pretty good actually, and they all had revolutionary memes. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's when we got rid of you. <laughs> but it's it's weird as well. Like I know I'm probably reading too much into it, but July Fourth, British media reminding America, you know, you're going to meet Putin. This mm -hmm. is what Russia does. Novichok Part Two, mm -hmm. and Chemical independence. Weapons. The America's independence was from the Brits, and you know, it's not too far fetched to say that over the centuries the British and the Americans became a, a, a one entity, a new. 
and Trump. Trump is breaking up that right? re- reunification yeah. again, you know. It's, um, hence, you know, hence the British fingerprints all over Russiagate. The Steele dossier. Mm-hmm. Steele's a British spy. He's not the only one. Um, Skripal, of course, probably false flag. Maybe not organized by the Brits themselves, but they're With certainly... With their connivance, probably. Yeah, they believe it. Um, yeah, and, and the whole... The one thing, I mean, there are, the one thing that they will not abide by is that President Trump, American president, will have a normal relationship with yeah. his Russian counterpart. Yeah. Why, why you know is that? Do well, you, know, you know you're living in crazy times whenever, the ant, like I was saying earlier on, the anti-war party is loudly screaming about a detente between the two biggest nuclear armed powers in the world. Think about that. The yep. anti-war lefties who hate war, who love humanitarianism, who think war is the worst possible thing and all the children and all the people, innocent people should be safe, there should never be any war again, are the ones who are screaming bloody murder because at, at, at the leaders of two, at the leader of, of, of America, the US president, meeting with the leader of Russia and trying to, and, and not just that, not just the fact they're meeting, but they're terrified that they would actually uh, come to some agreement and increase uh, trade. S- trade and, well, not just trade, increase security and intri- increase, uh, improve the relationship between the two countries. Does that make sense? That anti-war people would be dead set against a detente or a rapprochement between two nuclear, nucle- the biggest nuclear armed powers in the world? No, it doesn't. The ones who could destroy the whole world with nuclear weapons, well, you don't want them to be friends. Let's put it You're another, anti-war, let's put it and you don't want them to be friends. Let's put it another way. They would rather see the world destroyed in nuclear Armageddon than... A sexist and racist. No, no, but why do they call Trump that? They call him that because from the outset, he was friendly towards Russia. Yeah. So what is it? What is the core of the reason for why the U.S. cannot have normal interactions with Russia? Because it's a peer competitor. And, and would unseat the U.S. from its global seat uh, or its position as global he- hegemon. At least that's the deep staters. I don't know what the, about the media. The media are just nuts. That's what we keep saying. There's no, don't try and understand it, why the media are doing this. The media are just like a bunch of you know, but, I- idiots being led by the nose. Most of them, they just, they just, I mean, for them, it's enough that Trump is orange, has orange hair, is a, has said sexist, sexist things, uh, is being portrayed as a racist, seems to be, you know, seems to be racist to them. That's enough for them. They don't care. They would be happy to see the world, uh, you know, burned in nuclear Armageddon as long as, uh, or, or rather than see someone like him, uh, you know, do good things or, or be held in high esteem. They want to pull him down because of their personal ideology, their personal beliefs about, you know, sexism and racism. I mean, they project that onto him. And, but it's, it's all mixed up together because the media obviously is twisting people's minds. And who is giving the media their orders is the question. You know, the real government. Well, the deep state, you know, mm-hmm. and what's there. So you go back to that. That's the real cause, cause of the problem. And that's, that's where the whole global hegemony of the U.S. under threat from Russia, that's where that applies. Those people simply do not like the idea, do not see, do not like the idea that Russia and China uh, would, you know, kind of knit together Eurasia, would kind of 
take Europe kind of away out of the, the, the out from under the wing of the US and, and, and more into a Eurasian integration because that's kind of the end of US hegemony and these people are in it for their own power positions and the idea that they have long believed and with good reason uh, that they rule the world and when they say jump everybody else says hi, how high uh, they don't want to lose that position and everything that you see happening today in terms of Trump and Russia and all that kind of stuff and Skripals and Novichok is all a manifestation of those people's fear that they're going to lose their seat, you know, uh, on the on the tip of the uh, tip of the pyramid, which is technically where they should be tied to it. Naked. Anyway, um, <coughs> will we leave it there for this week? I think so. Okay. Latest news, by the way, is the British government has reassured everyone that it is not going to issue new sanctions against Russia for Novichok Part Two, which is basically admission that it's all BS. It's all a load of crap. Nothing happened. All right. Okay. Well, we'll be back. What next week? Maybe, uh, or maybe before then, with uh, some more updates on what's going on. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, until then, have a good evening. See y'all. Whatever. Bye bye. <laughs>